What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. Hey, Dream Builder. This episode is powered by Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a website that helps entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses get creative and quality designs from custom logos to business cards and even web designs. There's a community of over 900,000 designers from all across the world that's ready to bring your idea to life in as little as ours. So head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation and see what all the hype is about. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again with another episode, and I'm excited to be bringing to you today a mastermind when it comes to marketing. Um, this is somebody that I've been studying and, and listening to for a couple of years now, and so it's super dope to have him on the show. Please help me in welcoming Eric Sue to the show. Eric, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? Hello, Dream Nation, Casanova. Thanks so much for having, having me. Uh, excited to be here. Cool. Now, one thing... Um, that I like to do when we start out the show is I always love to make sure we give the proper introductions. And the way that I do that is I compare us as entrepreneurs and, and thought leaders, change makers to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly flying around the world. We're putting on our cape and we're trying to solve some of the world's biggest problems. So what we all know is behind every Superman, there's that S on the chest and there's that guy named Clark Kent. And a lot of the times we can at least articulate who Clark Kent is because we've seen him come out of the dark sometimes. But what we don't know is behind the S on the chest um, and the superhero known as Eric Sue. Tell me, who is that Clark Kent? Like, where do you come from? Who's that guy behind the man that we all know today? Yeah, I think, uh, by the way, my favorite superhero is Batman. He's a very, um, you know, he's different than, than all of them, right? But I think for me, it's, I, I've always kind of struggled with school growing up because it wasn't interesting to me, right? And and so um, what was interesting to me growing up was games. So I played a lot of games. I was, I was a Blizzard kid, you know, a lot of StarCraft, Diablo, a lot of first-person shooters, Counter-Strike, all these games, right? World of Warcraft and all that. So I spent a lot of time doing that. At, while, you know, I had my friends and family basically saying this is a waste of time. My friends, we'd get in, or my parents would take away my keyboard, my mouse. There'd be this big struggle while I would the only thing I was at the top of my game at was games, right? That's where I had camaraderie. That's where I had teams. Um, and that's where I learned a lot of these habits that I have now, resilience, teamwork, communication, that type of stuff. Um, and so through that, I built confidence. And um, I always thought to myself, look, you know, if I just have, if I can find something in life that captures the same feeling, I'm going to be good, right? I just got lucky enough that that happened to be that happened to be business. So I basically, you know, struggled throughout school. I, I almost got kicked out of high school. I almost got kicked out of college. Um, I got fired from two jobs, right? It's just, I, I eventually stumbled into entrepreneurship and, you know, a lot of people are accidental entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I just kind of carried over once I got into, it, I'm like, Oh, 
this is just like playing a game and it's not that bad at all. And gaming has prepared me for this. Just like sports prepares you for a lot of, you know, real life. Gaming does the same thing. So. Got it. Cool. Now talk to me about, you said you stumbled into entrepreneurship. What was like that first business that you created and how did you know, like, um, I'm kind of good at this thing. Yeah. You know what? I mean, the, I remember I was working at a company and I was working at this e-commerce um, place called uh, four wheel parts. They sell like, you know, Jeep stuff and truck stuff online. And um, one of my coworkers had an e-commerce store that sold magic stuff. And I had no idea what magic stuff was. I was just like, I want, I want a piece of it. Right. And so I was 23 years old at the time. And I took, you know, I think all the money I had was $4,000. So I, I paid the $4,000. I bought the website um, and I promptly tanked the whole thing. I, partnered with the wrong people. I didn't vet my partners. Um, and then we switched, we tried to re-platform from a Yahoo store to Magento. Like we went from like zero to 100 and we didn't even need to do that. So I really very much stumbled into it because it was like a gut reaction. And that's very much how I stumbled into eventually taking over the ad agency I own, which is single grain, which eventually stumbled into all this other stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, I like to say, I kind of just accidentally fall into stuff and you know, instead of planning out 10 to 20 years, sometimes you just kind of just kind of have to let things happen to you. Got it. So talk to me about when you you said that you didn't vet the right partners and things like that. So when you took over this, you originally had partners or you went and found the partners, but then you figured out that those weren't the people that you should have been partnering with. Or did you guys all buy this this business together? Um, yeah, I think we all put it. Yeah, I think that's what it was. We all put in four grand each. And uh, one guy was the guy that I learned internet marketing from, um, happened to be four years younger than me. And then another guy was one of his friends who I didn't vet at all, but he said he trusted him. So we didn't think about roles and responsibilities. We didn't think about what we've done before. We didn't think about the vision and all that. Right. So we kind of just um, said, Hey, let's try it. And what ended up happening was one of the partners ended up having a, a drug addiction problem. Uh, so that didn't work out. And the other one was just working on too many things. And then I was just not that, not that interested in it. So we all had fault there. Mm. Wow. That's very powerful because you said that like, we didn't think about roles and responsibilities. And a lot of times we're just thinking about the end in mind and we're like, oh man, this thing can profit. But we don't think about that. There's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be had because we can lose this business just as fast as we acquired it. So yeah, that's I very powerful. When you're, when you're younger, um, you know, you, t you start, you think too much, you over-optimize for money, right? And then I think a lot of problems in the world of internet marketing is those people are, um, uh, and I'm one of those people, by the way, I, I used to optimize too much for money. But then when you realize, when you read a lot of these books and you learn from the people that have built amazing companies, let's say the late Tony Shea from Zappos, as an example, you know, he talks about culture, he talks about vision. And so when you have culture and you have, you know, big long-term, a big long-term vision, you can actually scale and the, the, the possibilities are endless, right? And um, the game that you're playing, you're not trying to play with an end in mind. You're just going to keep playing till the end until you pass away. Um, and, but while you do it, you're going to enjoy the journey, right? It's not just, I'm going to try to make, you know, two or $3 million a year, and then I'm going to buy a Lambo or something. Um, that's very short-sighted in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. So talk to me about how did you wind up connecting with Neil Patel, right? Was it, you both were just early in your journey. And so it just felt like it was the right synergy or, or did you seek him out as a partner? What did that look like? Yeah. I mean, this is, so when I was learning um, digital marketing stuff, his blog kept popping up quick sprout, um, which he has now handed off to somebody else. Um, but you know, I would read, sometimes he would just make up words like phrases. And, and so um, I read something called, he talked about something called link blending. And I remember the phrase. And so I just started emailing. I was like, what do you mean by this exactly? And then he responded to me very quickly. Um, 
And then I was like, oh, he responds. And so th- then I just kept hitting him up, hitting him up. Finally, he just got annoyed. And he was like, Luke, let's just talk on the phone. I'm like, usually when you get annoyed, you just start ghosting someone. But he like took it further for whatever reason. Um, and we got on the phone. Eventually, we we ended up meeting at Taco Bell, which is his favorite restaurant at the time. Um, you know, he, do- he doesn't eat that stuff anymore. But like at the time, it was great. Um, and we he he was more of a, I learned a lot from him in the beginning. Right. Um, and eventually it got to a point where, um, we just kept trading ideas and we, we became more as kind of peers and partners, right. Which is why we have the, the marketing school podcast in addition to all the other stuff we do around that. So that's how we met. Um, but what I'll say is this, right. I think those that know who Neil is, um, you know, he's big in, in the digital marketing world. You have to also understand you, for me, one of the things I learned is it's, you don't want to compare your journey to someone else's because in, in the business world, he's actually, he's a good 14 years ahead of me um, or something like that. Right. You want to like that. That's, he has his journey. You have your own journey. You're better. You're better off trying to make yourself 1% better every single day. Got it. No, I love that. And the reason why I think that that's very relevant to ask the question about that. And and I love that you shared the story is a lot of people are going out and they're looking for mentors right now. And essentially you say he's 14 years and he, you're already seeing his blog. Did you set out with the intention that you wanted him as a mentor you or you wanted to partner up with him in some way? Or was it really just like, I just had this genuine curiosity. And if I never would have got a response from him, I was going to be okay. Because a lot of people, they'll reach out to mentors or reach out to somebody who's ahead of them and then they won't get a response. And that can become very discouraging. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. What what you're aiming for is you're aiming for curiosity. And so um, the if he didn't respond, I would go to somebody else and I'll just keep asking questions, right? So I, I think it's it's and by the way, this, this ties back to gaming again. It's it's having that beginner's mindset and thinking like a child, because when you think like a child, you don't think you're better than people. You're always trying to learn and you're always trying to get better. Um, and it's the same thing with my first podcast, leveling up. After the first year, I was only getting nine downloads a day. Um and after the second year, I was only getting 30 downloads a day and I was spending six hours a week on it. So anybody would have said, hey, you should probably give up on it. But for me, I was optimizing for learning, right? And to your point, curiosity. So I got to learn from free for, from these amazing people. And um, that to me, eventually you just keep going, keep going and keep going. And then someone's going to pay attention. And then boom, that podcast now does a lot better. And it, it's led to the Marketing School podcast. And collectively, I think we're over 50 million downloads so far, which is not bad, right? It's not like we're Tim Ferriss or anything, but it's it's not bad. Wow. So talk to me about what you've learned in the world of podcasting, because like you guys have, again, one of the top podcasts, I know it's one that I'm subscribed to and I'm not subscribed to very many. So how long have you had this podcast and why did you guys set out originally for it to be a podcast or you just wanted to release it as like um, something that was more for your tribe? Talk to me about what did that look like when you set out with the intention in the beginning? Great question. And there was no intention in the beginning. It was, it was very much, we stumbled into it. The, the story is Neil and I were walking in, in Hollywood and um, we were, I think we went to get juice or something. So I remember this. Um, and uh, I was just talking about how great podcasting has been for me. And he, he just turns to me and he says, okay, let's do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, let's do a podcast. And that, that was not what I said. Um, and so eventually we just kept going down with the idea. He's like, oh yeah, we should name it B-School. I was like, someone's already do, doing B-School. We should call it Marketing School. Um, so it was very much a collaboration from the very beginning. And I remember we were recording in Vegas. We had, you know, our gear was, we had a Blue Yeti microphone, USB plug-in, and we had to turn off the AC because it was too 
it was too loud, right? And then Vegas was too hot. So anyway, that's how we got started. We've been doing that one for about four years. Um, and, you know, we just, we stay consistent with that. I'm happy to talk about tactical stuff around podcasting, but um, I will say without sticking with my first one, it wouldn't have led to this one. So. Got it. And yeah, I think that it's relevant because a lot of people are right now that are listening at this or even watching it, they have some type of interest in podcasts. And a lot of people have their own message, but they struggle with one, what should be the topic? Two, when should they monetize? So I think those tactical things um, are, and obviously there's many of other things, but for you guys, when you first looked at it and you were saying, hey, we're, maybe we're going to name it B School. And I'd imagine the B was for business, like the business yeah. school, everything you've both learned in business. So talk to me about what are some of the things that you've learned through podcasting. And on the tactical side, I do want to get into how exactly do you start to grow your listenership? Because that's a lot, another thing that some people are like, how do I have timeless growth strategies? How do I start to market myself even better? So right. for that question, first off is um, what was some strategies that you guys use? Well, first, I guess let's talk about did you have the intention of, of monetizing because you called it a business school? Did you feel like you were going to monetize this or no? I There was no intention in the beginning to monetize. And we actually didn't monetize for two and a half, three years or so. And so imagine we were spending a lot of time in LA. We both go to a podcast studio and we record. So we were spending money on hosting and we were spending money on, on recording and all that. But we had the long term in mind. And eventually what happened is um, we had a deal fall into our lap with um, you know an advertiser, DreamHost, which is great. Um, and what happened was um, after that, we're like, oh, by the way, I've been in you know other peer groups, EO, YPO, and peer groups are helpful. Let's do our own peer group. So we started a peer group, and then you know the pandemic hit, um, but that will come back. And then we started doing all this other stuff around it. But the key thing, what we learned was, and I was talking about this yesterday with a couple of buddies on Clubhouse, um, focusing on creating a great audience, focusing on creating a great community first. Then you can do whatever you want afterwards because your ultimate goal is to just serve the community. So that's what we did. Got it. So yeah, no. So th that's so interesting that you say that you said we were paying money to be able to basically produce our own show. And then we stumbled upon um, this advertiser. So talk to me about like what led to that advertiser feeling like that they wanted to do business with you guys and DreamHost. I think this one is, um, I'm trying to think about how to duplicate this for people. Um, so, okay. I mean, obviously you want to build a great audience. So you build fans first, right? So if one of the things is the the person working on DreamHost, um, he happened to be a big fan and listened to listen to the podcast. Um, the other thing is we got lucky because my um, our the single grain blog, my website, um, caught his email address and then automatically reached out to him. So we use we use a couple of different uh, softwares for that. We use a customer data platform combined with a sales enablement tool called Outreach, and we just caught him at the right time. And then a conversation started, and then that's how we got the deal done. So that part is more fortuitous, but I would say the thing that's um, duplicable is actually staying consistent, creating um, creating something people want to come back to. And that's what we did for him. And that's what built up the goodwill. And what I will say is when you have a podcast that and you have listener, listeners that have stuck around for a while, what I found is the sales cycle is usually a lot shorter and the retention for that client is usually a lot longer. They stay for years and years and they close a lot faster. So mm, I love it. I love it. Now for you guys, I think one of the distinctions of what you had is your episodes are all like under 10 minutes long, right? Or at least definitely under 15 minutes long. Was that something that was intentional in the beginning of this is how you're going to distinguish yourself in the marketplace? Yeah. Um, 
part of it was again stumbling into it, but um, because everyone was doing an interview podcast, um, so leveling up was an interview podcast, and um, we're like, okay, how how can we zag where other people are zigging, right? How can we go in a different direction? So we're like, okay, everyone's doing an interview. We're not going to do an interview style thing. It's just going to be me and him initially. Uh, and then we are going to do it daily and we're going to keep it short. And what ended up happening was we just kind of fell into a process where we started with throwing in a couple ideas. And then what would happen now, the, the process very much so is my team will come up with ideas. We'll drop it into a, a Google sheet and then we'll edit as we go. And then usually we'll record for like an hour to two hours. And then it's, it's probably three to four hours of work per month. Got it. Got it. So what were some of the struggles? Because we're talking about a lot of, you know, when you first started, what were some of the struggles? Did you guys hit the gate right away with Mark B or marketing school? Did you guys start out right away and, and you built a pretty big audience? Or was that something that you thought that maybe you had Neil Patel and since his blog was doing well, you thought the podcast would do well and then it kind of died out? What did that look like? in it's especially first one or two years. Yeah. I would say for this one, because we both at that time when we started, we already had built in audiences and he already had a really big email list. Um, so I would say this is hard to duplicate because we started and we led with the, the email list a couple of times. We didn't hit it too aggressively. Maybe in the first month or two, we hit it a couple of times, but that immediately led to um, in the first month, it was like 100,000 downloads. And then the second month was like 300 and the next month was 500,000. So I don't think a lot of people can repeat that. If you do happen to have a, an audience already, that's great. But I think um, what I found over the years is, you know, consistency helps and then naturally you'll build an audience, right? Um, I think it just a lot of people tend to give up too quickly. Keep in mind, I went for two years without anything. So got it. Now, we've talked about timeless growth strategies, and a lot of people listen at this, and they, they're like, okay, I just got to be consistent. But at the same time, I can be consistently doing something that's taking me into the wrong direction, right? So my, my question to you is, what were some of the hacks that you had? Like, did you, besides just putting it out there, because I'm sure there's some people out there that have been posting on Anchor for, you know, three, four years now, but yeah, they're still not seeing any traction or any growth. What would be some hacks that you like that should should they be looking at? Hey, I got to develop on TikTok because it's new or Clubhouse. Yeah. We know that that's the thing right now that everybody's on, myself included. Um, where are those places that I can go to try to build my audience? So the ones you named are, are perfect, right? So um, Clubhouse is one where, you know, I was just looking at a title yesterday. I was like, and I joined the room. There's 1,700 people in the room. I'm listening to a conversation. I was like, man, this sucks because uh, I did with my friends yesterday and it was like, we were talking, like, it was just, we didn't title the room really well, but I'm just like, man, we can do way better than that. So I'm looking at clubhouse right now. You know, someone, um, I don't know if you know this author Shaka, but guy goes from what 20,000, uh, he has 20,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> he starts on clubhouse. He's got a hundred thousand followers now. Right. So I think mm. audio is here to stay. And plus Twitter just came out with spaces and it looks exactly like clubhouse. So, and then you got Spotify investing all this into podcasting. So I think um, taking a look at those, giving it a shot, I think that's great. Putting your voice out there. Um, what I would say is this, if you're starting out, this is more of like a long-term brain hack. It's what you're looking for is the unsolicited response rate. So maybe every month or so, someone will write a review saying, I don't know how this doesn't get more downloads. This is amazing. So then, you know, you have something. Then the other thing you want to pair it with is, are you actually getting better? Are you learning? Because that, that's how you want to look at it, right? Like, what am I getting from this? Um, because if you keep it going, it's eventually going to snowball and compound. Like, this is slower growth. This is slow, boring growth. But, you know, you live in Omaha. You know who Warren Buffett is. That's He didn't become super rich until, like, 
50 million uh, or sorry, 50, 50 years old or so. Right. But he was rich, but he wasn't like mega rich until that time. So I think you have to look at it that way. But if you want to hack, um, you know, we talk a lot about going on the channel. We talk a lot about repurposing. There's repurpose.io. There's repurpose house, um, whatever you want to call it. But what we do is we have this recorded on video right now. And I'm sure you do this already. In fact, you do. We will take the 60 minute interview and we'll chop it up, throw it on IGTV, throw it up, maybe even throw it up on TikTok, just repurpose, right? Because one piece of content, and this comes from Gary Vee, can become 64 pieces of content, right? It can become 83 pieces. Because what you're aiming to do is you're aiming to maximize reach, whether it's through your podcast or social. That's what you're trying to do. This is like what we're doing right now, Cass, is, is basically, you know, we're doing email nurturing, right? But you we're seeing each other's face and you're hearing my voice. So I love that perspective. We're doing email nerds. No, that's so big. Now, what what opportunities do you feel like for because you have a podcast, this has opened it up for you on stages that maybe you would not have gotten on if you didn't have a podcast and build your authority and leadership? What has that done for you? Can you think of one time yeah. that you're like, wow, I'm so glad I did that and stay consistent? Probably the biggest thing is um, one of my best buddies now, he first started listening to um, the Leveling Up podcast. Then he invited me to speak at his conference and then we became buddies. And now we'll do things, you know, we'll travel, we'll work on things together. Um, and it's just, it's been a really good friendship. Um, and then he, his company is, they're about to go public, right? So it, he's, it's a very serious relate. It's like a, it's a very serious relationship. It is a serious relationship. It's a good friendship, right? So that's a really good example. And then I would just say, you know, me, when I'm walking around at conferences, because I speak at a lot of, or used to speak at a lot of software conferences, people would point at me. Oh, whether it's my name or one, one, one time a guy was like, podcast guy, right? What ended up happening is now we ended up signing a deal with them. We've been working with them for four years. They paid us well over seven figures. Um, and that's been a good relationship. So. Hey, Dream Builder, if you're anything like me, you have no idea how to come up with a quality logo or even a creative design. You know that quality is important, but it's not always the easiest to nail down, right? That's where Design Crowd comes in. Whether it's a logo, a website, book cover, or even a social media ad, they have a community of over 900,000 professional designers around the world ready to help solve your creative problem. Head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation to learn more. And just for being a part of the dream nation tribe, you're going to receive a special VIP offer when you sign up of up to $150 credit. Now, instead of waiting weeks for an agency to pitch you an idea, you'll be able to get a design of exactly what you need within just three days. So again, head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation and check it out. Got it, man. I love it. I love to hear it. So talk to me. You, you've now, uh, is this going to be your first book or have you written a book before? Yeah, no, this is very much my, my first book. Right. And the name of the book is going to be. It's going to be called leveling up, leveling up. Now, the reason why I think that this is very important is right before this, we were talking about how in the gaming world, right? There's a bad stigma against it. Right. And so my question to you around this is when you grew up, did you ever feel like in a sense you were a little bit of an alien or did you feel like you didn't fit in a lot of spaces or like what led you to now write this book? Yeah. So the first to the first question, um, I did feel like I I didn't fit in. And it's, it's funny. Some of my high school friends would be, would be like, you were so weird before. I'm like, I'm the same person. Um, but 
what was what I got lucky with at the time because most of my school was Asian. People took gaming really seriously, so I actually fit in because I excelled at it. So I was accepted in a way, right? But I did feel like an outcast to certain groups of people. Um, but I always managed to kind of you know finesse my way into these things, right? Where like somehow I'm just there, um, and so. Why am I doing the book? And I actually got this question from um, a guy named Anthony Pompliano. I was on his podcast, and he's like, "Why are you doing a book? Like, as if like nobody reads books anymore, right?" I think the the key thing here is when you. I read a lot of books, right? So I'm looking for a very I'm looking for people that are similar to me, people that want to learn, people that are curious. I read physical books because if I'm reading on like a Kindle or like an iPad, I can't. I'm gonna start doing other stuff. I need to focus. I need to just have one book in front of me. Um, and so I think if you have a really good book and you have a really good message, it scales really well. And I'm just looking at it this way. If we talk about building audience first, because I think you know you have four forms of leverage. You have code, capital, uh, and you have labor, and you have media, right? A lot of people aren't thinking too much about media. Okay, I've got this message. I came from a gaming background. Gaming's taking off right now. Um, I have the intersection between gaming and business. I have a message. Okay, let's do it. So... Um, if it takes off, great. I think it's a great long-term book. The messaging is just basically, um, you know, having the right habits, the right power-ups, and then treating, reframing life into a game. And just things become so much easier because the way I look at it every day, and I'm sure you look at it this way too, is I'm just having fun. Right. Like I don't, there's tough moments for sure, but it's just like, it's just part of the journey. And like, I, I enjoy it. And it's the same feeling I had when I was playing games growing up. God, I love it. Now talk to me about, balance because there's in the world of gaming right it can be something that a lot of people struggle with it one is because it's the unknown just like you said like it's still a new concept esports gaming right and and parents when their kids are having so much fun or so much enjoyment out of fortnite or call of duty or whatever else the game might be that's a struggle because they didn't come from that world and it's funny because i've had many a conversations because before e-gaming um or esports became really cool i remember back then um i was trying to be a professional gamer and this was around gears of war right yeah. when gears of war first came out and so we were heavy into that and then call of duty became the thing and obviously halo was always still there but anyway i think that one it was the people didn't understand it but two it felt like that there was not a balance so for you what do you say to people that say you know i struggle with allowing my kids or even myself getting in heavy into gaming because i don't know that i could balance it yeah I think it's a fair comment, but I, I, I think um, we have to reframe our mindset into thinking we accept sports. Why do we accept sports? Right. That, that's There's an, an analogy there where if you played football or like baseball or basketball in, in high school, um, why do your parents let you play? Did you did you play sports? I did. Yeah. Basketball, football, yeah. track. Yeah. Dance squad. I was, I was. Yeah. And I'm still heavy in the sports. Yeah. So why do you think your parents let you play all that stuff? Because it was the norm and it was the way out, to be honest. So for me, um, growing up inner city Chicago, never having anything, right? Um, it was it was kind of looked at as a way out. And on top of that, if your kid was good, if you had any type yeah. of talent, it gave you status. Yeah. So that's one thing, right? What, what, what did you learn from sports? Um, for me, I loved, I learned collaboration. I loved how to, you know, overcome adversity because yeah. there was going to be times where you were losing in basketball games. There was going to be times where you got hurt, but it was mind over yeah. matter. There was going to be times where you needed leadership to be able to step up, right? And, and cheer on your team, even though you weren't in the game at that moment. So I learned a lot from sports for sure. That, and that's the same thing, right? I think it's um, 
everything you said there was was beautiful. And, and when you think about it, sports became popular because the attention was there. And when attention goes somewhere, you know, it starts to get monetized, right? Esports, same things happening around. It's rising so quickly. Attention's going there. You have these gamers making like a million dollars a month or even more than that. Um, and there's the gamers making a million dollars a month. There's yeah, totally. You go to YouTube and there's these people that have like millions of subscribers and they're just crushing it, right? Um, and and so look, if you think about it. Now gaming has status, right? You can become a celebrity doing it. So everyone's like, oh, I want to become a gamer, right? But we don't want to be doing it for status reasons, right? But that is one reason. Now, the other thing is all the stuff you said, resilience, communication, collaboration, all that stuff, you get the same type of effect. Now, I would just say the same thing to these parents. Like, look, it's just an alternate way to get the same benefits from sports, right? Obviously, you still need to know, to, you know go and, and train and work out and stuff. Uh, but if they want to be play games and you know give them the time to do it, um, let them, don't let them go overboard, right? You're going to limit it just like you limit sports. You can't play sports eight hours a day or 12 hours a day. There's got to be like, to your point, a little bit of balance there, right? Otherwise, um, if you skew too much in one direction, you might become uh, overweight and unhealthy. And if you don't have your health, you have nothing. So. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I'm, I still, well, I knew that there was gamers that make, you know, two, three, four million dollars to think that, because it's so funny. I just told CJ, because I got a son, nine-year-old boy, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, he's very good at basketball. He actually plays up in basketball, but he he's heavy in gaming, right? And and, I, and I'm not one of those people that's against gaming by any means, um, yeah. because I know what it was like. But I do think that there needs to be some type of a balance. And so it's funny, because yesterday I had saw somebody in the NBA just got a contract for like I think it was I'm a huge Duke fan in basketball my whole family yep. is we're huge diehard Duke fans yep. and anyway so Luke Kennard just got a, a contract and with the Clippers for four years 72 million and yep. I was like wow and I was like CCJ I get it but I was like Fortnite is not about to give you four years 72 million dollars well you don't know you got to look at it now right they're they're like especially in like the Asian countries they're like superstars there so I think um it, it will start to match probably not in the next like five to 10 years, but eventually we'll get there. So maybe it's not- I think they're giving four years, 72 million in esports. Yeah, I think it'll get to that point. Wow. Uh, maybe I'm going to pick keep back mind, up that controller. Because look, basketball has been around for a while, right? And like they didn't, like 20 years ago, they didn't have max like salaries like this, right? Or I don't, I don't even think the 72 million is guaranteed. The problem is, if you look at it, if they're making that much, the advertisers are making way more. So right. it's just a, a game of attention. Right. No facts. I mean, and yeah, just like you said, I mean, the, uh, attention is the new currency. That's what you right. It's relationships and attention. Those yeah. two things are never going anywhere where the eyeballs go. Right. That's why Clubhouse is so big and everybody's yeah. trying to then invest in it and everything else. So figuring out ways that you can gab more attention and you can build relationships because when attention comes as much of the people that you can capture into your tribe or into your ecosystem, right? Those are the people who you'll be able to monetize off of and not saying monetizing your audience, but monetizing with the advertisers, like you were saying, right? The big name brands that they need to be able to invest their money somewhere and get more attention for their business. And so that's what they'll do. So I love that you brought that up. I'm gonna have to think about it a little bit heavier. And I mean, I know that it is getting bigger, but I think that there is always that stigma. And I think it's the media fuels so much of this because it's like, hey, if you have technology in front of your face too much, yeah. like more than five hours a day, it could cause you, you know, mental problems or whatever else. And I think people get really scared uh, off of but, that. By the way, I think you have to like, if if your son's good at gaming, like if, if, if I look at, you know, my, my transition, it's, you know, are you able to translate those skills into real life, right? Because the, the problem is um, if you get stuck in the, the gaming world, um, there's only so much more, more upside you have, right? And 
oftentimes if you're playing like first person shooter, it's all about you, right? You might be playing with the team or whatever, but if you want to capture the most upside, business is the ultimate game. Like there's nothing close to that, right? And you're helping the world. And now you're just taking what you're doing and you're actually making an impact on the broader economy. So. No, I think that's solid. that's very, very true. Very, very solid information. And so I think that hopefully this can open the eyes for anybody who's listening right now that has kids or even if they're thinking, you know, maybe this could be your pivot, maybe, you know, because a lot of people are pivoting and they're trying to figure out how they can write this ebook or how they can do so many other things. But you might be able to pivot to your passion, which can also create a profit off of getting into gaming, especially if you're willing to put the work in and you're willing to stay consistent with it. Um, right. I think that that's a, a very, very key that's thing. A good phrase. Pivot to your passion. There you go. Right. I know. Right. I'm just coming up with all these bars out here. Yeah. No. So, man, this is this has been really a dope conversation. I, I love the fact that you brought up the podcasting thing, though, because I've been getting a lot of do you get a lot of people that inquire about wanting to start a podcast, but they just don't know where to start? Yep, for sure. Got it. So for you, are you somebody that now even looking at it and knowing how wise that you are about the podcasting space, are you still going to tell people that you just got to stay consistent and you got to wait it out for two years? Or do you think that there's a faster way if somebody says, hey, I got a good voice for radio and I want to start a podcast, but I, I'll be honest, I can't afford to go broke and I can't afford to do this for two years. Yeah. Do you think that there's ways that people can start to monetize a lot sooner? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about monetize, but I, in terms of building an audience, I think, um, let's say I'm starting out. Um, I would say, cause I'm actually about to start a third podcast now, and this is going to be with Yelp. And this one's I'm going to be working with the Michelin star, uh, restaurant tour. And it's going to be a restaurant, um, podcast. And so, you know, that's a collaboration, right? Because that's leveraging the power of Yelp's audience. And that's also leveraging the power of, um, you know, a guy that's been there, done that. And I'm just layering on my marketing expertise and I don't need to do a lot of work. So are you able to collaborate with someone um, and, and bring them the value, right? So using um, marketing school as an example, that was very much a collaborate with, collaboration with Neil and I, I had to use my staff. I had to put together, you know, all the, basically the plan and everything. And Neil just showed shows up and records, right? So all the heavy lifting is done by my team. Um, so that actually balances things out. So when we did the event, as an example, live events, all that planning, the vision is really around my team and they're putting things together and Neil's just, he's plugging in and he's, he's also adding a lot of value too, but it's a lot less lift from his side, right? Because he's got a lot of stuff going on. So you got to think about if you're going to collaborate with someone, um, how do you balance out the value? So. Mm, I think that's a hack right there. That's a really big hack that a lot of people do not think about. Like, what can you do to partner with somebody who already has an audience and what value can you bring? And we talk about this all the time in the world of real estate, right? You might not have the credit, you might not have the capital, but can you do the hands-on work? Can you manage the contractors, things like that? So that's really big. I, I love that. And maybe hopefully that gives somebody some ideas. Now, as far as approaching a big brand like that, do you feel like you have to already have something like uh, a marketing school or, or like, how do you approach yeah. a big brand like that? Because you've seen it on both sides. Yeah. So, I mean, with marketing school, it's, I, I developed a long-term relationship, a long-term friendship. And honestly, when I'll, I'll say from like an SEO perspective, cause I have a background in SEO. Um, it's a lot harder to get links. Um, when you don't know anybody, cause links help you grow your traffic, content helps you grow your traffic, whatever. Um, but now it's a lot easier because my team just reaches out and we do a lot of content collaborations with people and we're, it's, it's a lot easier for us to acquire. Explain, links, right? explain for somebody who's, who's not familiar, explain what links do and why they're relevant. Yeah. So the two things that matter the most when it comes to SEO are content. So you got to have content on your website, right? The search engine spiders will crawl it. 
you got to have links too, because and links are just like a little hypertext, you know, click here or whatever. Um, that those are helpful because it tells the search engine, Google in this case, uh, hey, there's actually there's this site is valid because you're basically giving a vote of confidence whenever you're getting a link, right? So the more links a website has in general, I'm generalizing here, um, from more reputable website, let's say like a let's say like a Wikipedia.com or like a New York Times or something. Um, the more it's going to be easier for you to rank for keywords when you're writing stuff, right? So for example, our blog on single grain, whenever we write about marketing stuff, we tend to rank better because Google sees us as an authoritative marketing site, right? So the more links you get, the better. But the problem is most people suck at SEO because they can get the content stuff down, but actually going out there and asking for links and building links, that's the hard part. Cause it's like doing sales, but the, the, the result you're getting is a link, not actual revenue. So mm, that's that's a, and how so you're going out to people who already have the websites, the domain authority, and you're saying, hey, how can can I get a link from your website? Is that what you're saying? Can you can can I get a link back to my website from your website? That's the most basic level, right? That's we basically call that link link begging. But the way we do it now, because we have uh, because we've built relationships, right? whether it's me and you being friends or maybe me build, building relationships at scale with the podcast, uh, when some we can just reach out to someone and say, hey, do you want to do a content collaboration, right? Because now we have a good blog. We can probably do some type of um, collaboration where they write content on our site. We write content on their site. And basically, you know, hopefully we can, we can also link out to stuff that we want to link out to. Wow. I love that. I love that. No, man, this has been, again, phenomenal. You've dropped so many jewels. I guess one last question or a couple of last questions that I have for you. The first one being um, knowing where you are now, right? You're so much wiser than where you first started. And obviously that's why now you're writing a book and you're sharing your experiences with so many other people. But if you could look back and knowing your journey, if there was one thing that you wished you would have changed or you wish that you would have implemented sooner to be able to accelerate your journey and your process to your dream, what would that one thing be? Yeah. If it were one thing I would uh, adjust to the process, I think it's just hire great people faster. Um, you know, I, I think probably an easier way to think about it is not how to do things, but who do you need to hire? You should constantly be thinking who, 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 uh, and pay top dollar if you need to, because it's worth it. Mm, I love that. Man, there, there's so many people that have been an influence on my journey, right? That's been a part of my team, both indirectly and directly. So I love that focusing on the who. I mean, I think that's one of the first rules when you get into becoming an internet marketer, um, because there's so many different tools and systems and automations, and it's impossible to know everything, right? And and the biggest thing is just like you said, how do you build the relationships with the people who already have audiences? And that takes a whole, you well, know, that's a the thing, right? Itself. I think the I think. A lot of people listening to this, I think it's it's how do you reframe stuff into a long-term mindset, right? Um, being very urgent in the short term, but like just think, looking at things out there with a five to 10-year timeline, it just becomes way easier that way. Right, man, I love it. Last question I have for you, man, is there somebody out there that's struggling still? They love your journey. They are inspired by you and they want to be able to blaze a path just similar to what you've done, but they have that little voice in their head and we've all had it. Um, it says that you're, they're not strong enough. They're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you would say to that person to get them to just take action? Yeah, I, mean, I might have two things here. I, I think I have a different way of looking at it because again, it's a lot of things you think about. It's really how you think and how you reframe things, right? So I think um, 
mental pain is a great thing. So this comes from probably my Asian, like my, my tiger mom, you know, beating down, beating me down mentally all the time. Right. I think, um, in order to get to the next level, right. You're maybe you're at ground zero right now. If you want to get to the next level, you're going to have to go through a certain amount of pain and adversity to get there. And you have to keep, this is how people keep leveling up. You keep getting stronger and stronger by going through pain at, at each level. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Winston Churchill. It's if you're going through hell, keep going, right. That means you're probably doing the right thing. Also be smart. I mean, obviously you don't want to be running through like fire or stuff, right. Unless you're like a Tony Robbins event, who knows? But, um, I think that's what I would say. Cool, man. I love it. For anybody who wants to stay connected with you, we're going to make sure that we put links in, in the show notes to everything that you mentioned today. Um, especially your book, but for anybody that wants to stay connected with you, where can they find you at? Yeah, so they can they can find me uh, at Eric O S I U on uh, Instagram or Twitter. I'm actually more active on Twitter now. And uh, if you want to go learn more about the book, we got a lot of bonuses and stuff there. Um, you can just go to LevelingUp.com for that. Love it. I love it. Well, remember, just as he said, Dream Nation, if you're going through hell, just keep going because at the end of the day, you have a dream. And if you don't take action on that dream, we all know it will only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.